fantastic. Well, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, uh, will you open them to Ecclesiastes chapter 5? Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Now, a number of you have, uh, have been asking what's up with the platform. Um, you you uh, didn't have the benefit, perhaps, of being here last week to hear us introduce what's happening here. So let me take just a moment or two and do that now. This platform, as uh, crazy as it drives me and some others, uh, is in, intentionally set like this to give a visual for what we're trying to accomplish or trying to communicate in this sermon series we started. You see, what we said last week is that um, a lot of people uh, look at the platform. Actually, it was funny. A bunch of the kitchen crew Wednesday night were asking, they saw pictures on Facebook. They're like, what's up with the platform, Pastor Earl? And they were talking about it. And uh, my favorite comment in that conversation was Gary Gill. Where are you at, Gary? Right here. Gary Gill uh, said to some of them, this was great. He said, uh, we thought we were coming to an auction and then a sermon broke out. Uh, so some people look at the platform and think, uh, why are we putting all our stuff out? Are we doing an auction? What's the deal? Um, but what we said last week is that um, a lot of times what we see on the platform is what God sees when he looks at our lives, when he looks at our hearts. You see, a lot of us have a tendency to allow clutter to build up, but it's not necessarily bad things. I mean, sometimes it is. Certainly there are times when there's things in our hearts that are totally displeasing to God, that are sinful and wrong, wrong attitudes, wrong behaviors, wrong values. But, but more often than not, with Christians anyway, the clutter that builds up in our heart and in our life isn't necessarily bad things. It's things like we talked about last week, like that have meaning, that played a role, that, that had value. Could I dismiss the children to Children's Church? I'm sorry, I forgot to do that. Let's dismiss the children. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Great. So they have meaning, they have value. But the problem is, they're cluttering out what God wants to accomplish in our lives. I mean, even as you look at our platform, you can see that there's a cross, a representation of who Jesus is and what he's done. But it's kind of crowded out by all the clutter. You see, God's desire is not just to be in our life, not just to be part of our life, not just to be one of, the, one of the things that gives our life meaning and purpose and value and direction. God's desire is that Jesus Christ would be the Lord of our life, that he would sit on the throne of our hearts. And too many times what happens is we allow other things to creep in and clutter that. And so we're doing this series we, we've called Make Space, with the goal of creating space, of helping us to clear out the clutter specifically around one thing that tends to cause a lot of Christians the most clutter. Like we said last week, it's actually the one thing in the New Testament that Jesus spoke more about heaven. He spoke more about this thing than hell. He spoke even more about it than love. And that thing is money and our possessions and and how we relate to those. So we're doing this series, and this is a visual of what our hearts can look like sometimes when God looks at them. So I wonder, have you ever convinced yourself 
that it was okay for you to buy something that you, if you were to be completely honest, really didn't need. You convinced yourself it was okay to make a purchase of something that you really didn't need and maybe really didn't even have the money to make the purchase. Am I the only one? Interact with me somehow. Nod your head, raise your hand, throw a hanky in the air. Thank you. Okay, there's a couple. Good, thank you. Um, So why do we do that? Like, why do we buy things that we don't need? I suppose there's all kinds of reasons um, because we think it'll make us look better, it'll make us feel more accepted, uh, um, you know, we'll keep up with the Joneses, um, we've had a rough, you know, rough day, rough week, rough month, and a little retail therapy will help. I suppose there's all kinds of reasons why we buy things we don't need, but it seems like a lot of us have done it. I've, I've done it. Back at the end of 2018, I walked into Walmart. I was there on a very specific mission. I needed deodorant. And so that's, that's, my wife only sends me with a very detailed list, and this time there was one thing on the list. Well, I walked into the front of the store at Walmart, and there on display were clearance TVs. There were different sizes. There was, you know, big and bigger and ridiculously humongous. And I saw the ridiculously humongous one, and I saw the clearance tag on it, and I saw the price. It was a third of the regular price, and I'm like, oh, yeah, baby. That TV is going to look so good in our basement family room. I stood and I watched it, and I felt like I was on the sidelines of the football game that was going on on the TV. It was crazy. I looked at it, and I thought about it, and I looked at the price tag again, and I realized, that's a really good price. But it's still more than my wife and I have agreed we would spend without consulting the other first. And there's no way I'm going to call her and say, can I bring home this TV? Here's how much it costs. So I bought my deodorant and I left. Good story, right? I bought my deodorant and left. I expected some women to say amen, but apparently not. So um, you know where the story is going. I told you the end before we started. So uh, here's the deal, though. Over the course of the next... I don't know, week, several days, I strategically brought each of my family members to Walmart so that we could discover this great TV that was on clearance. And man, I am telling you, I was good at this. I was, I was smooth. I was so smooth that all of my family members, except one, were like, you should totally do it. And that one that didn't want me to do it wasn't Sarah. Really, she's the only opinion that counts, right? So she was like, I I totally think you should do it. Truth be told, though, we didn't have the cash and we weren't going to put it on a credit card. So every time we just left, I just left the store with whatever family member it was and didn't buy the TV until one Saturday night, or maybe it was a Friday. I had just finished a side job. And so now I had some cash. And so I took Anna, our middle child, and we went to Walmart We bought the TV, we loaded it in the back of my PT Cruiser, and we drove home, praying the whole way that we wouldn't wreck because it was slippery out. Didn't want to wreck my new TV that I just bought. We get home, we take it out. Uh, The rest of the family's surprised. We got a new TV. Uh, We set it up. One of the children wasn't there, but that child arrived later. and, And everybody was excited about this TV except for one person who said to me, Dad, why did you spend your money on that? We already have working TVs classic case of missing the point. Well, if I'm to be honest, buying that TV was more exciting 
gave me more excitement and more feel-goods than the joy that TV has ever bought me, brought me since we've had it. We got it. We had to rearrange the basement downstairs to get it to fit in a way that made sense. It was bigger than the entertainment. I mean, the TV didn't fit on the entertainment center we had for our old TV, so we had to figure that out. And it was a display model, so it didn't exactly come with the remote control, which has provided some problems from time to time. And then, as if to add insult to injury, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or, you know, the enemy of my soul or just my humanity, but there'll be times when I'm watching a movie and I look at it and I go, you know, I wanted to watch this movie to escape from reality for a couple hours. This looks too realistic. I can't stand this. And so, almost every time we turn that TV on, I regret the purchase. <laughs> Not probably the only one. I'm sure that nobody else has stories like that where you would say, I can't believe I did it. I probably shouldn't have done it. My child was right. And here I live with the regret. But we all have a tendency to do that. Why? Because sometimes buying that new thing seems like an easy fix. It makes us feel better for a few moments. It, it addresses a need we think is missing from our life. It, it fills a hole that we think we have. But sooner or later, we come to the realization that none of that is sustainable or even real. Eventually, the euphoria of the, the purchase and you know, loading the back of the car and taking home a surprise, eventually that excitement wears off. Once that thing that we were just so sure was missing from our life, once it's no longer missing, we start to realize there's something else missing. And so uh, if, if we don't wise up, then we repeat the cycle again and, and we go buy something else that we think is missing and we get that and then we realize, wait, there's something else missing. And this can be, this can be a nasty cycle in which we work to fill a hole in our life that can't really be filled by these things. And what happens is that hole gets larger and larger as we cram more gargantuous TVs or whatever it is into that hole trying to fill that need. And if you don't believe me that this is happening, listen to some stats I found this week as I was doing some studies. You know that there are 48,500 U-store facilities across the United States, almost 50,000 storage unit facilities where people can say, I've tried to fill a hole with this stuff. It doesn't fit in the hole. It doesn't fit in my house. So I'm going to store it here because I can't get rid of it. There's too much tied up in it. I spent money on it. I thought I would like it. Maybe someday I will. Now catch this. Those almost 50,000 U-store facilities take up 2 billion, 300 million square feet. That's a whole lot of space given over to storing our stuff. As a matter of fact, there are more storage units in the U.S. than there are Starbucks or McDonald's combined. Okay. When I read that, I was like, whoa. Some of you are going, how can that be? Yeah, how crazy is that? I mean, we've got like 12 McDonald's and 48 Starbucks in Elkhart alone. But watch when you're driving around. 
and start counting how many used store places there are. It's insane. We buy new things because we're not satisfied with what we have, because we think there's, there's holes in our life. And as we buy new things, we don't get rid of the old. We hold on to it, thinking that maybe it will sometime bring us some satisfaction and none of it really satisfies. Now, of course, Jesus warned us about this in Matthew 6. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Read verse 21 with me, please. For where your treasure is, let's go back a slide. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus warned us of this cycle. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my heart hidden in, one of, in a box in one of those almost 50,000 U-store locations somewhere across the U.S. I don't want what God wants to do in me and what God wants to do through me, what God wants to do um, in my church, in my community, in my, in my family. I don't want that limited by my heart and the clutter that's grown up around it as I tried to find what's going to satisfy me, what's going to fill that hole. So that's why we're doing this series. And last week we looked at a parable that, uh, of Jesus, a teaching of Jesus's, uh, where he talked about uh, what money should look like and what role it should play in our lives. And this, this week we're going back to the Old Testament to uh, the man who was arguably the wisest man to have ever lived. You've perhaps heard of King Solomon. Early in his reign, God said to him, Solomon, ask, ask, ask me for whatever you want and it's yours. And I don't know about you, but if I was Solomon, I, I, there'd, there'd be a list. You know, like the first thing I want is three more wishes, you know, that kind of thing. Solomon apparently thought and thought and thought and uh, didn't ask for fame, didn't ask for riches, didn't ask for power and authority and admiration. Instead, Solomon said, would you give me wisdom to govern well your people? And God was so pleased with Solomon's request that not only did he give him wisdom to rule well God's people, but he also gave him riches and uh, fame and, and wealth, you know, power and authority and, and uh, everything else that came along with it. So we're reading what Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The wisest man to have ever lived says some things about money. Follow along as I read in Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 10. Solomon says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes, so they depart. 
They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun, the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is also a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. So if you were to summarize what we just read from Solomon in one word, what word might you choose? I know you've perhaps just heard it for the first time in a long time. That's fine. The word that, I, that came to mind for me as I read and meditated on this passage was the word satisfaction. Now the Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones have told us that none of us can get any of that. Although we try and we try and we try and we try. But Solomon seems to indicate that there is a way that we can get some satisfaction. There is a way to declutter our lives and our hearts and our minds of that which prevents us from enjoying what God has given us. So let's look at three things Solomon says about getting some satisfaction. He says, I can get some satisfaction when I, number one, use, use money, not chase it. When I use money, not chase it. Notice in the verses we read, Solomon starts with a, a bold statement. He says, those who love money never have enough of it. Those who live to make more money never make enough. They spend their life